Tonight I'm going to talk about attachment to being right. Um, And I'll start with a Zen story. Zen master Hakuin, who lived in the, you know, the 1600s, 1700s in there, who's a Zen master in Japan. Hakuin lived a very simple life, and he, was, he lived in a small village, and everyone just admired him for the, for the purity and simplicity of his life. Well, one day, this, this family nearby, their young daughter, suddenly they find out the young daughter's pregnant. And the parents are all upset, you know, who's the father, you know, and they're, they're pestering the daughter, you know, tell us who's the father, tell us who's the father, and she won't tell. And finally, in a, in, a, in a moment of desperation, she says, oh, Hakuin was the father. And the parents go to Hakuin completely enraged, you know, yelling at him, how dare you, you're supposed to be a Zen master, you know, blah, 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 you know, yelling at him and accusing him and everything. And all Hakuin says is, is that so? So then the, you know, the parents leave. They're they're annoyed at him. You know, later on the when the daughter gives birth, they give the baby to Hakuin. You know, at this point he's lost his reputation in the village, but that doesn't bother him. You know, and he just, he takes very good care of the baby, gets everything it needs, and and after about a year, the the young mother she can't stand it anymore. She can't stand living with the guilt, and she fesses up. You know, no, it wasn't it wasn't Hakuin. It was really. The, the cute young guy at the fish market. He was really the father. So now the parents are mortar, mortified. They go back to Hakuin. They're apologizing profusely. They're asking for the baby back. And, and he's willing to give the baby back so the young family can, can have the baby. And all he says in response to all of this is, is that so? So the, it's funny, the need to be right I, I think it has a deep evolutionary basis, and in, in some sense it's connected to life and death. I mean, if you, you think in, um, in the natural world, you know, these berries taste very good, but these berries, which look very similar to them, are poisonous, you know, and it's very important to be right about that, you know, or, you know, two mushrooms that look similar or, or whatever, you know. And so there are instances in the natural world you know, in our in our evolutionary past, in which it was a matter of life and death to be right or wrong about something. In our modern world, is very different. I mean, I mean, yes, technically there are things that it's important to be right and wrong about. You know, for example, it's you know you stop at a green light and you know stop at a red light and go at a green light. You know, it's important not to be wrong about that, but. But that's completely uncontroversial. Like, there's no, there's no controversy about that. That's not even a topic of discussion. And most of the things that actually are life and death, it's, everyone just takes it for granted. It's not even discussed anymore. But, of course, people get in kinds of all sorts of arguments about what's right and what's wrong, you know, about morality, about religion, about politics, um... Even arguments about matters of taste, you know, which food is best, which sports team is best, you know, this sort of thing. And it, it almost seems as if the, the, the less objective the measure is, the more passionate people are about making the point. 
And so there's there's a lot going on with that. Um, a lot of times the need to be right and the need to, you know, I need to prove to someone else that I am right, um, has a basis in toxic shame. Toxic shame is a very uncomfortable place within. Um, you know, I think it's, it's a near universal feeling, but one that we often don't, don't talk about. Um, it's a place where I, you know, it's, it's this horrible feeling of, I am the lowest thing in the world. I am, I am despicable, you know, this sort of thing. Um, and when I'm, you know, when a person is in a place of toxic shame, what feels like a, almost a perverse kind of relief is if I can top somebody else, you know, if I top somebody else, at least at that moment, if I've topped somebody else, then I'm not the lowest being in the universe, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and so when people are hooked by any of these, these deep, painful places, um, how can I say? It calls up, it calls up all the fight or flight responses. And it's the nature of fight or flight that it makes, it makes thinking very black and white. You know, we're, when we're calm, we're able to appreciate all kinds of nuance. When we get into fight or flight, things become very rigid and, um, and oversimplified. And so, of course, I think we all kind of know that if someone comes at us with this kind of, you know, I'm right, let me tell you about why I'm right, you know, kind of, kind of mentality, um, if we meet them with the, that same energy of, you know, no, let me tell you why you're wrong, you know, kind of thing, um, I think we all know that just kind of escalates, that leads nowhere, it leads very quickly to, you know, emotional escalation where two people are talking past each other. Um, there's something lovely about the, the Zen story that I shared earlier about Hakuin. Um, you know, if, if someone comes at you with a kind of, um, you know, let me tell you why I'm, why this is right, you know, to meet that with a more spacious energy of curiosity, wonder, you know, is that so? Could it be, you know? Um, Curiosity and wonder are in many ways an invitation to step into a larger kind of state of being. And, and it's not that that invitation is always accepted or received, but at least we're making that invitation. Um, I think of this great quote from the, from the Tao Te Ching. This did not make it on the quote sheet, but the, the sage contends with no one. And so no one is in a position to contend with him. You know, this, this tremendous skill in, in avoiding all, you know, head-on conflict. Now, it, it, how can I say? I think all of us in, in sort of, polite social environments, you know, we get, you know, how to be polite to each other and how to, how to de-escalate conflict. 
Um, it's funny, you know, we, we have tremendous knowledge of this when we're in, you know, professional environments, this sort of thing. Um, we don't necessarily treat our nearest and dearest with quite the same, um, you know, high level of sensitivity. And often we don't treat ourselves the same way at all. And it, it's kind of an irony, and, and especially from the point of Buddhism, you know, um, you know, kindness to the stranger, kindness to, you know, the person I'm close to, kindness to myself are all, are all equal. They're all equally valuable, you know. I think the whole issue of being right and about encountering others who think that they're right um, takes on a very interesting um, dimension when we consider the Jungian perspective of others within. You know, what are the places within us that are convinced that they're right? You know, and often it's the places that are are most infantile, that have been through the most trauma, that are most convinced that they're right. Um, been reflecting a lot on this this week, and um, you know the places that are, as it were, like tallying evidence against us. You know, and I think we we've all had that experience in a in a in a weak moment or a tired moment, you know, the voice that says, well, you did this wrong, you did that wrong, you, you know, and almost this tally of evidence. Um, almost like there's a part of us that wants to be right and wants to make a case, you know, a, a very infantile place that, um, you know, is doing its best. It, you know, it was... Uh, you know, an infantile place that's wounded and, and believes whatever the wounding, you know, believes in whatever came across in that wounding experience and is trying to verify that still. Um, yeah, and it's, I think it's so important when working with these places, I mean, first of all, just have tremendous compassion and forgiveness um, but also a, just a kind of gratitude, you know, you know, genuinely thank these places. Yes, you were trying to be right for so long. Thank you for that. And, you know, um, you know, much like the, the Zen story, hanging a question mark over it rather than, you know, not, not again, at, you know, just like with an external other, an external other comes, you know, I'm not going to you know, go right back at them in the same mode. No, you're wrong, you're wrong. You know, in that fighting mode, belligerent mode, but rather in a mode of curiosity, you know. Can we extend that 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 open-hearted curiosity toward all our inner others? So at this point, I'll share the quote sheet. First, I'll, I'll put it in the chat. So the Zoomies have the quote sheet. I'm going 
teachers that always have handouts. So I have a, a Zen story about Hakuin at the top. I also have two quotes from other scriptures. Um, from the Zhuangzi, which is one of the, the Taoist scriptures. Um, right is not right, so is not so. If right were really right, it would differ so clearly from not right that there would be no need for argument. If so were really so, it would differ so clearly from not so that there would be no need for argument. You know, and it's funny, I just think of those those moments often in a social situation where, you know, an energy shifts and, you know, something happens either good or bad and suddenly it's just wordlessly obvious to everyone in the room, oh, okay, that's happening, you know. You know, sometimes there is that thing that is so, and it's so, so, that there's no need to discuss it. From the Christian Bible, from the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus said, Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. The idea of of amplifying beyond that. I like this quote from the Zen master Ying Han. It is just like learning archery. Eventually you reach a point where ideas are ended and feelings are forgotten. Then suddenly you hit the target. So, uh, you know, a kind of rightness but not a rightness that comes through argument and, and through the strategic mind. Similarly, the, the master's Dogen, the great master, said, if you can't find the truth right where you are, where else do you think you'll find it? A famous one from Rumi, out beyond all ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, is a, there's a field. I'll meet you there. From the great preacher Phillips Brooks, a man who lives right and is right has more power in his silence than another has by his words. And I, I think it's so true. The older I get, the more I think that the most powerful statement we make is just the energy signature that we carry in our body through the world. You know, and and that people people feel that, they resonate with that, you know. If I'm walking around in gloom and doom, you know, it doesn't really matter the words I come out of my mouth. People are feeling that, you know, or, or if I'm walking around in joy, people feel that, you know. Um, the artist Paul Cezanne says, I do not want to be right in theory, but in nature. Richard Wilhelm, quite interestingly, said, what is not sought in the right way is not found. The Zen teacher Koto Sawaki said, the question isn't who's right, you're simply seeing things from a different point of view. The physicist Niels Bohr said, the opposite of a correct statement is a false statement, but the opposite of a profound truth may well be another profound truth. Peter Marshall said, Lord, where we are wrong, make us willing to change. Where we are right, make us easy to live with. (laughs) Jack Kerouac said, one day I will find the right words and they will be simple. 
Gerald Jemplowski said, you can be right or you can be happy. You know, it really is one of the deepest questions in life in some ways. Do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Um, I remember a psychology professor I had years ago said that um, in, in Milton's Paradise Lost, the figure of Satan was such a profound description of how the neurotic mind works. Because here Satan, he had been thrown down to hell he was wrong, he knew he was wrong, but he'd rather suffer than admit that he was wrong. You know. Wayne Dyer said, attachment to being right creates suffering. When you have a choice to be right or to be kind, choose kind and watch your suffering disappear. Mark Nepo said, when we keep choosing between right and wrong, we spend our energy sorting life rather than living it. This is just a great question. When you get to the end of your life, do you want to be able to say, well, I was sorting my life, as opposed to, I was living my life. Sharon Salzberg said, sometimes kindness is in the form of stepping aside, letting go of our need to be right, and just being happy for someone else. Michael Cooley said, here's the Dharma. You will not know your illusions until you awake from them. Very humbling because it means all the things that I haven't, all the delusions I haven't realized yet, I'm still living under, you know, that kind of thing. Ralph Marson said, let go of your attachment to being right and suddenly your mind is more open. Daphne Scott said, deep down, we all know that wanting to be right and to prove that we are right causes suffering. Wisdom is required to keep a balanced view of life and to remain curious as it unfolds. This does not mean indifferent or turning a blind eye to what is actually happening. Nor does it mean we not having an opinion or taking a stance. In fact, these misunderstandings about what it is to have a balanced view of life can prevent us from being able to access one. Trish Cody said, It's not easy to let go of the need to be right. Many of us have developed this armor because we're afraid of what being wrong would do to our view of the world or or our view of ourselves or our view of the world. It's often a mask for deep-seated fear we don't know how to deal with. And Kaladon McComsky said, Happiness is not to be confused with ignorance is bliss. What truly brings happiness and meaning over time is growth contribution, helping others, etc. The being right approach can bring comfort, temporary superiority, and make us happy in our heads, but it is not the road to joy, richness in relationship, or deeper peace. I'm not suggesting for settling for less, but rather it is about letting go of a divisive way of looking at things and letting go sometimes of control, winning every battle or argument, arguing every point in your head. Sometimes this can make us feel vulnerable, even a quality we don't often like to show others, particularly if we feel we should be bigger, we should be the bigger, better, or stronger person in a given relationship, given relationship or work or personal life situation. 